Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something, people. I'm recording on St. Patty's Day. When, when you hear this, it'll be the day after. But what's cracking me up about St. Patty's Day is I was talking to my friends back in Philadelphia, and they have three different weekends where they do something called a Blarney Bus. And what the Blarney Bus is is because there's such a high Irish uh, population in the Philadelphia areas, it goes from bars to bars, and people get on and drink and get off. And what is the funniest thing about it is, they sit there and they say, because it controls drinking and driving. People won't drink and drive as much. What they don't get is, people have to get to the bus. It always made me crack up, because you think, if you were a police officer, you would stop right near where the bus lets people off, and then you have a whole bunch of DUIs. That's all I'm saying, And but be careful and don't drink and drive. Anyway, enough about that. We have a great guest. Kurt Fuller, how you doing, Kurt? I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I, I got a little uh, little window into your mind there. Uh, In what way? Well, a way to uh, to get some revenue for uh, where was it, Philadelphia? Oh, Phil, it, yeah. It's crazy. They, they do it every weekend, and what they do is they say, "Get on this bus," and it's like ten bucks, and this bus just drives around, and people get off. And what they forget is it's so cold back there now that people are getting thermal. You know, they're getting you're they're right. freezing. So yeah. now you're a California guy. I'm uh, born bred. In California, I grew up in Grapes, Grapes of Wrath country, okay. San Joaquin Valley, lived in little farm towns growing up, and uh, never really saw a big city until I went to college, which right, now, was in San Francisco. Okay, now, now as a kid, did you, did you want to act? I mean, how did you sit there and stumble upon this? I mean, it's a great career, and you've had a very good career. Uh, as a kid, did you watch TV, or did you, were you fascinated by acting, or what did you want to do when you were little? Well, when I was, when I was a kid... Uh, TV was not in its infancy. I'm not that old, but there were only three stations, maybe four. And, uh, yeah, I watched TV. I watched the Ed Sullivan Show and Disney. and But I, I never wanted to be an actor. That was never, never crossed my mind. Uh, I wanted to be a professional golfer. Really? Yes, I, I still want to be a professional golfer. Actually, now I just want to be a good golfer. <laughs> See, that's so funny you say that because it's it's golf is. I mean, and uh, golf has become so much bigger now. Mm -hmm. And back when we were younger, and I know because my father golfed, and he wasn't that good, but it right. was a thing where like they would go out, him and his friends would go out. It's like the, it's like guys. What do they do now? They would say, "Okay, we're going to play golf," and you and we we were all bummed out when we found out our father took a cart. He didn't walk. We're like, wait a second, you know, you, 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 we thought you were like a golfer, not taking a cart. It's not even a sport, and, exactly. and then you ride on top of it. It's just humiliating. Did you? Well, what age did you start golfing? Did you start? Did you start coughing a lot? Uh, yeah, my father was a golfer, and it was something that we could share with my brother. Uh, my, my older brother, and we would, uh, he was a very avid golfer, a very bad golfer. And, he, you know, you really don't, you don't unlearn the first things you learn. And he taught me very badly. He was doing his best, but uh, he, he, uh, he would fiddle with his swing and then he'd fiddle with my swing. And, uh, but we had a great time together and it, it really, it's something we always had in common. Now, did you sit there? Did you start playing golf in high school? Were you a high school golfer? I was a high school golfer, yep. But I was gr I'm tall, and so I would grow out of my body. I, I think I grew six inches one year wow. when I was in, in high school. So, I mean, I, I needed a hinge to turn a corner. I mean, I was very clumsy. So I would have to relearn. Everything was different every day. So I've... I've never been a good golfer. I'm not saying I'm a good golfer. Okay, I know. I was going to say, it must have been really hard for your swing. Because, yeah, you go yes. from getting it, the handling right, and, oh, my God, I'm sick. And the clubs, now, do you, do you get, and I don't know this because I'm not tall. Right. Do you get different size clubs I have my height? My clubs are an inch and a half longer than okay. standard. Yeah. So but you, it's a, an impossible game. It is, now, but do, do yeah. you play, still play oh, a lot? I just came from the driving range. Okay. That's why I'm sweating. Now, see, <laughs> the driving range is always fun, and I always I always laugh for the guy who had to drive the cart. Like, everyone oh, aims for that I poor do. guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, what what if... What if that? What if that chain? That 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 whatever they've got up there breaks. That guy's dead. Oh yeah, because and it's funny. Like, you think it's like it's so evil because a golf ball gets some good inertia. Oh yeah, and they're hard. Golf yes, balls they are hard, and everyone just sits there. And the guy, and he just must be so like. So he just puts his headphones on and just says, "Screw it," and the hell with it. I think probably he's stoned. Number one, right. <laughs> and number two, I don't think he even knows where he is, and I don't think he hears anything. It's like living next to a train track, you know. So, so you're in high school yes. and you're golfing, and are you acting at all yet? No. Okay. No. So, so, what, so you you decide you're going to go to college. I go to college. I go to one of the worst schools if you want to be an actor, uh, Berkeley. 
okay. which has no acting department. It has a drama department. It's all, you know, if you want to be a dramaturge or something or a turg or whatever it's called, that's great. Uh, but I met a girl there who was in an acting class. I went to the acting class. And there were nothing but beautiful women there. And I wasn't that good looking of a guy. I was just a normal, normal guy. And there were just, were just women everywhere. And I thought, well, this is for me. <laughs> now, how did, you, how did you acclimate to a bigger city? Because you said you hadn't been to a big city to the college. Was it intimidating to you? Because, Extremely. Because, I mean, you come from a small town and it's, there's just different values. There's just different, you know, just the surroundings. It's, you don't know what a con artist, I mean, you don't know what a con artist, you think someone's, hey, yeah, hey, well, let me watch your bags. And you're going, oh, this is the nicest guy in the world. And you go, where the hell are my bags? Correct. I mean, did you get scammed at all when I you got, got there? I got scammed. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, the cliche you would see in a movie of the person who comes from the country to the city. And uh, I got, I got, first of all, Berkeley had 33,000 students when I went there. Okay. And at the first day I was there at lunchtime, everybody let out. And I, there was a sea of humanity. I mean, I, I've never seen, I had never seen that many people. I had never been, and I, and I was taller than, I could see, sort of see over everybody, but I panicked and I almost, I almost left. The first day, I just, just thought... Just get to the hell with this, I'm yeah. going back home. And I was sure everybody was smarter than me. I was sure everybody was better than me. They were more sophisticated than me. And, and they were. All those things were true. But they couldn't golf as good as you. Uh, <laughs> the, yes, they could. They could. Some of them could. But I think the one thing... You know, my father was fought in World War II. Depression grew up during the Depression in Alabama. Okay. Montgomery, Alabama. I mean, the seventh level of hell, sort of. Right. Uh, we... You know, our family motto is the Fullers, we rise to the middle. <laughs> and he taught us, if nothing else, to just keep going. Just keep going. Don't give up. Just keep going. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to, but just keep going. And that's what I've done. And I think that's why I've been able to, you know, have a career for this many years. And before that, I sold real estate for 10 years okay. when I first came here. Instead, I saw a lot of 50-year-old actors when I came here. I thought, I don't want to be. The odds are I'm not going to make it. I don't want to, you know, I'm sorry for all the 50-year-old actors listening. <laughs> I, know, I know you're out there. But I said I wanted a plan B. So I sold real estate, which two businesses where the most common thing you hear is no. Right, yeah. It's, it's I mean, because real estate, it's like, oh. and insurance is up there too. Yeah, you know, it's like anything I, like that. And I have friends who started insurance now, and it's so funny. They, I mean, I I started in high school with like on college with me, and now I mean, they're very successful. But then they're just like, still, they're just like not jaded, but they're like, man, it's like you're right. It's like no, no. It's like yeah, we work the hours, but it's like you don't really become friends with like a client like with actors you're on the set so you're gonna become right. with that person you'll be friends with that person because you have something common but the clients like you always sit there and go like I've talked to people go, oh you know this guy he's my insurance guy never like oh you know this guy he's my friend it's right. like oh he's and it's, it's sad because you may have to fire them so right. you can't really be their friend you so, so you're at, you, stay, you decide to stay at Berkeley I decided to stay at Berkeley yes what was your major I was an English major and I was gonna be a lawyer okay that was my plan and uh, so and it was a good plan in 1972 okay <laughs> so you graduate Berkeley I graduated from Berkeley uh, my girlfriend at the time was very ambitious and a real go-getter as well and we decided to uh, I thought well where can I be broke is it better to be broke in New York or LA I thought well it's better to be broke in LA because the weather is better right and I could steal an orange off a tree I thought there were orange <laughs> trees everywhere you know it's not funny you said to, but and it's funny when you do walk by when you go wow there's yeah. an orange tree like yeah. my, my friend used to have this little place in Burbank and he had this lemon tree and I'm like and I'd only been out there for like a year I'm like mm. holy crap there's, there are yeah it's not like you know I live in Burbank and it's like I don't I don't see any trees no. like, I, there's a, a, a little truck that sells produce it pulls out but never so so you decide to move down here yep and uh, we both got our real estate licenses okay now so you knew from the get go you said okay but was it acting? I know you were doing some acting with in, a little bit in college. Yes, I. Oh, yes, I did. Oh, excuse me. You, yeah, you you've, were doing some. Acting. You've skipped some of the glory years of my acting. Exactly, it, overacting in college and and being taught how to be a really 
big overactor. Is that? Do you think that's because it was the teachers, or just was that the whole movement up there, or because it was more, as you said, more into the drama? Or why do you think that is? I think it was the teachers. Okay. I think it was the teachers. They were just bad, and also me. I wasn't. I've never been a natural at anything. Okay. I've never been a natural. My my daughter, the first time she saw a skateboard, she got on it and took off. She's a natural. I mean. That has never happened to me in any walk of life. Really? No. It's been work and uh, elimination. I I spend more of my time eliminating my faults than trying to develop my strengths. Well, that's just that's that's just very interesting. It's very it's very cool. It's a very interesting uh, thing. I mean, I just I have a paper towel. Thank you. But so so you you come down here and you were doing some acting. But when you moved down to L.A., you were going to do real estate or you're going to act or because your girlfriend wanted to act or what. Right. We were going to get our real estate licenses and pursue acting, Okay, which is, is what we did. She is still selling real estate, uh, by the way. I, I don't really talk to her anymore, but, uh, but she's doing quite well at it, probably making as much, if not more, money than I am. Yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, you're, but you get yeah. to act. I mean, that's, that's, that's and, great. And then, in those days, the only thing there was, there was no... Uh, it was theater. You did theater. And people, if they wanted to see you, they had to come to the play. And I, I, didn't, I just was relentlessly auditioning for plays out of something called Backstage Weekly. It's so funny, Backstage. Remember yeah. that? They did the drama loads yeah, and all those absolutely. different things. And for nine years... I did theater, and I worked with some people who are, who are, you know, who David Schweitzer, who you may or may not know, but uh, he uh, he's a very, very talented and prominent director. He goes all over the world directing operas and uh, working with with really great people. And after nine years of selling real estate and doing theater and really starting to hate real estate, I have to say, what made you hate it? Just the it, well, it's it's just I mean. Any business. I'm not a businessman. Any business is about business. The only thing you're trying to do is make the business work. You're trying to sell something, whatever it is. And people who like business, they could sell anything. It, it wouldn't matter what they were selling. But, uh, you know, I was just selling houses and everybody lies and everybody – it's a lot like show business. <laughs> but uh, The parallel. <laughs> yes. Oh, there, there are many, there are many I, parallels. But I was just – I was bored with it. I, okay. I was bored with it. I didn't like wearing a suit and, you know. Now, when you were doing the theater, were you also trying to go for auditions for TV and movies or were you just concentrating on theater? I did not – could not get an agent. Okay. I couldn't get an agent. I was, uh, you know, in my 20s, losing my hair, very tall, and really born to play bosses – businessmen, heads of things, men of, uh, funny men of authority and real men of authority, but I was too young. Okay. So really the more hair I lost, the more I started to work. And I, my big break came when I, uh, you may not know this name as Stephen Burkoff, but he was, uh, he's a, a huge playwright in England and here he was the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop. He, uh, right. He, 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 people would know him. He was directing a play called Kvetch. And I auditioned for it. I got it. And it was, at that time, the L.A. Times could make or break you, just like the New York Times can do on Broadway. And this play was such a huge hit that... Uh, and I was, you know, I was the star of it, and I didn't know what I was doing, where I was, and I would talk directly to the audience in this play. Um, Johnny Carson came. Oh, wow. It was a 99-seat theater, the Odyssey Theater. Uh, Jack Nicholson came, and the, they would leave me notes. I mean, anybody, Joan Rivers. And what was that like? Because you sit there, as you said, you know, you've, you've, you know, you like, you had to work on hard, work hard, and to get notes from those people when you're in a play. And the thing is, you couldn't get an agent, but you, you, no. you can get, you can get notes from Carson and Nicholson. Yes, and that, and honestly, it's it's otherworldly. It's I never ever, you know, felt like I deserved anybody to pay attention. You know, weird, a weird acting thing with you know sort of high confidence, low self-esteem, which a, a lot of actors have. Uh, I, I, I felt like I was fooling them, finally fooling somebody. And Harold Ramis came to see it, and he came to see it about three times. 
and he got me into Ghostbusters 2 and because of this play and then I never looked back I never I've never stopped working so once you the play you got all this critical claim so you got an agent Finally got an agent. Finally got a bad agent. Yeah, was that, see, it was a that's, bad agent. See, yeah. that's what's that's what's so crazy. That's what's so crazy about this town, where you could be in this play and it's getting critical acclaim. It's got a quick reviews. People are coming to see it, and you get stuck with a bad agent. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's just so weird. It's like you sit there and you think, like in any, any other job, if you're a minor league baseball player and you have stellar game and people, you know, are sitting there, you know, Don Mattingly or whoever's writing you notes, like this guy's great, you're gonna get a good agent and they're going to get you a good contract right and it's just I mean was that frustrating for you it was and, and I look back on it now and I think it you know it's all about money and I think when agents look at me I'm not screaming big star I'm screaming working character actor right and they're not interested they're, they're not they're not really interested in that they're interested in finding somebody who's going to pay off big 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 right so now your your first series was I was looking at the thing it was Wild Side my first series was Wild Side. Now, how did yes. that come about? Did that was that was did your bad agent get you that, or did, it, uh, did you get a new agent? No, I had a friend. Okay, uh, who wrote it? Okay, and he uh, he put me in it, and it lasted like all my series. I've had, I've tr- either eight or nine. I mean, I am. It's incredible. I've had I think nine, eight or nine on the air series. Now that's a lot. Oh, that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Not one of them has lasted more than a year. Well, okay, because you're recurring on Psych. So. Well, yeah, Psych. I was a recurring character. That was the the best job of my life. So, so you had eight, you had eight or nine, and I'm sure you've had other pilots too. Oh, I do a pilot every year. So, I mean, what's that like? I mean, I always think it's like one thing. I mean, and when a show doesn't last for a season, but last for a season it gets canceled. I don't. I, I never take credo in that it's a. I know a lot of times it isn't the show because there's been a lot of great shows mm-hmm. that we like, and then we sit there and me and Joan will be watching it, and we she's like. We don't know what happened because they always cancel that damn after like the first season and there's that cliffhanger and then mm-hmm. you sit there and go, I'm never know what's going to happen to Ned or Stacy. Right. <laughs> I'm never going to know. And it it must be frustrating, I'm sure, that it doesn't get the longevity. But that's such a, a testament to your work that you've had all those series and it, it must just, it must, you must sit there sometimes and go, can, come, can someone just... This show is good. I mean, I mean, has there been any, any shows that you've been in that you just said this is a surefire hit and it didn't make it? Uh, one I did, uh, not this last year, but the year before. It was called Us and Them, and it was um, there was a, uh, a show on the BBC called Gavin and Stacy, and it was the American version of it, and it was so good. It was so good, and it never it never aired. Fox didn't think it was for them. See that's so you know what also frustrates me and you're in the business so you can maybe back me up in this. What frustrates me a lot of times is we were watching that show The Millers, great cast, mm-hmm. but, you know, I mean Margot, Marginway and all that but they 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 pull it. But what sucks is they pull it and they have episodes already recorded and they put reruns on. And it's like you already paid for the episodes. That's always frust- so frustrating to the person who watches TV when you sit there and go I've seen this Big Bang Theory. I don't need to see Big Bang Theory three times on a Thursday night and syndication. If you want to see Big Bang Theory, believe me, you can turn any time of the day you can find it. Correct. And it must be frustrating for an actor, too, when you have them in the can and they don't show it, and, and especially when you know it's a good product. Well, what happens is, um, for example, this show was called Us and Them, and my wife was Jane Kaczmarek. My son was Jason Ritter. Unbelievable cast. The girlfriend was Alexis Bledel. I mean, just fantastic people let's say they say they don't want they 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 cancel it and then it shows somewhere and it gets great reviews and it does well they look like idiots because they we're no longer under contract they're saving themselves you know if they cancel a show and then air it and people start watching it they're dead because the actors are gone everybody's gone so it's really sort of you know, I mean, that, that show actually is showing in New Zealand. Oh, really? And there was just an article, the best show you will never see. Now, how does New Zealand get it? Because I always think, it's like, how does that happen? Like, is it a different, I mean, it's, it's so random. I it's mean, It's so random. Like, you're, you're like a megastar in New Zealand. You, you can't even walk around New Zealand. <laughs> New like, Zealand has 3,000 people, but yeah, that's, that's a low bar. So, so you, you did you, that, the first show we talked about. 
and that was uh, Wild Side. Yeah. Now that was a western. Well, it was a it was a western of a type. I uh, that show is it was big for me because I played Meg Ryan's bo- uh, Meg Ryan played my boss in that. Okay, and it was her series right before she did Top Gun. Okay, and we became uh, we became friends for for many years. I don't I'm I've lost touch with her, but uh, she was she was such a delightful person at the time. And you you there somebody you look at you go star right. You don't say. Working character actor. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, when you were doing this series, were you also still hitting the stage? Did you still have that love, or did you? Yes, I did. I did. I did. A, a, I, I, I did a series three or four years ago called Better With You, and because half-hour television, I find not hugely challenging, uh, I did a play at the same time. Now, why do you feel not challenging? Just because it's 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 more of a you're doing a, a recording that's usually in front of a studio or you shoot it all at once and so it's, it's not being somebody who has a background on stage is probably second nature to you to sit there right. and learn your lines and right. you're probably going I mean it must be for you for someone who does his stage shows you must sit there when they go okay well you have to learn a page of dialogue you're probably like okay well what am I going to do with the rest 20, exactly. uh, 23 hours and 45 minutes of my day but I think you know I think that in fact I did not I purposely did not do a pilot this year. I, I stayed out of pilot season because I want to try and do something on cable or Netflix or Amazon, which comes up a little later. Because I think that network television, and this is why they're not as interesting to work on, because they're trying to penetrate the market. You ha- it's, it's so hard. You know, you can't make a nice little show anymore. A nice little show will not penetrate the market. It has to have something either great or horrible right. for people to notice. But at the same time, they're trying to appeal to as many people as possible, which means that they can't really put anything great or horrible in it because that'll, that'll only appeal to a niche. So they're screwed. <laughs> They they can't they can't do anything to penetrate the market really. They have to hope that something, some alchemy of the cast and the writing catches on, like we did with Modern Family, uh, or something like that. So therefore, you're pretty much doing the same thing week after week after week. You're playing the same thing, the same scene over and over and over and over again. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's because I'm I'm a very big fan of the cable TV shows. Mm-hmm. I, I love episodes. Which yeah. is just so uh, funny, and yeah. I, togetherness I liked. It was mm-hmm. it was it was different, and that's the thing. You're right. Someone from Nebraska is going to watch Togetherness and think it's the stupidest show right. ever, and it's the thing where they and you with the, with networks, it's sitting there going, well, "Wait a second, is it a comedy or is it a drama or what's a dramedy?" And it's like it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be either. Life. I mean, we don't sit there and go, "Hey, hey," you know. It's that's what's the thing is, and I think for an actor, it must be. This must be a great time because there are so many shows coming up that you don't have to sit there and go, "Oh, I'm going to play. I'm going to do a sitcom or I'm going to do a drama." I mean, that must right. be open up a lot of doors for you just for your your freedom. It's, it's, right. That's a lot like theater is though, because theater a lot of times is a mixture. Theater's a look at life, and it's a lot of it's a big you know thing like that. Uh, I agree, and 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 personally, I'm absolutely not going to do a sitcom. Uh, it, although some of them are great, most of them are horrible. And if I go do something on cable or Amazon, or I will take a cut in pay. I'm happy to do it. I'm you know I'm at the age where I'm looking for experiences, good experiences, good times, good material more than. You know, I don't have the same ambition I used to. I've, I've, I've risen to the level I'm going to rise, and uh, it's just fine with me. I, I, make a, I, I make a very good living, and, you know, as they say in TV, in show business, you can't make a living, but you can make a fortune. Right. So every time I do one of those series, I make a fortune, and I put it away. So the times when I'm not making a living... Right. <laughs> I have that old fortune I made. When I get said, as you started losing hair, you yes. started getting more work. Yep. Now, when you're in your later 20s, mm-hmm. and you said it was hard to get parts as an authority figure. Right. Now, when did you start seeing that change with when did people start feeling that you could take that step? Because before, before you got those authority figures, what kind of parts were you getting cast for? Oh, little one line. I, I had like three lines in the original Knight Rider. 
where the car talks to me and I freak out and I'm little little bit parts and it was sort of odd. I mean, I, I remember one casting director saw me and said, you know, you, you, let me just tell you this, you would make a great insane garage mechanic. So, you know, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of what I did. And I, I also, you were seeing me perspiring earlier. I, uh, I, I would have to walk around a building three or four times before I could walk in the front door. I was so nervous. Really? To audition, yes. Uh, I hate auditioning. I hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it. I still hate it. It's funny. It's just because people, yeah, it's like anything. It's like, even if you know you're good. I've had hundreds of jobs. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And it's like, it's just crazy. Well, you've, you've had a great career. I mean, I look at it. I, I want to talk about Psych right now, though. Okay. Because that is, that's when, I mean, you, and I want to talk, because you've been on so many other shows since yeah. then, you know, I'll, Supernatural. I'll talk about Psych. Now, and, and I was saying, Psych is one of those shows that it's, I'm, I'm an 80s guy. Mm-hmm. And it sit there, and it's funny because uh, Dean Cameron was on the show, and he's right. like, they mentioned him by name, and he was like so stoked. <laughs> Psych was one of those shows where when it started out, no one really knew, and they knew Dooley Hill from uh, West Wing, but they didn't, mm-hmm. no one really knew, and it was on USA, and USA wouldn't really have. I mean, now it's not the series they had then, right? And it comes out of no, and no one really knows the show, and it's it's odd, and that's what yes. makes it great. But that's that's what that's what it's exactly opposite of what you had talked about earlier on network TV. Correct. Now, what year did you start where you start coming on that show? And did you know about the show? I knew about the show. Uh, James Roday and I did a movie together a long time ago and I would see him and Maggie Lawson sort of, we would see each other at the Starbucks because we sort of live in the same area. Um, and I did know about the show. I, I would, I would watch it sometimes, but it wasn't something, you know, I wasn't a psycho like I, like I became. And, James called me, James Roday we're talking about, who was the, he and Dulé were the leads in Psych, called me and said, look, you know, we need a coroner this week, and, you know, would you come up and do it? Because, uh, you know, we don't have one. I said, sure, I'll come up, because I love Vancouver. And I went up, and I was only supposed to do one episode. And it turned into, you know, four years of, basically I was like a regular on the show, and it was without a doubt, uh, th- it will never be topped. It will n- there, I will never have a better acting experience than I had doing that show. What made it so great? Was it just because they were just cool? Or was it just because it just, it's one of those shows when you do watch it, you can tell it was probably just a blast on the set because they're just, they're both so goofy. Then you see Dulé Hill in an interview and he's this amazing tap dancer and he's just this all around <laughs> talented guy. And you're going, that must have just been a really fun ass set. That was a fun ass set, and they're all still friends of mine. And it started with uh, Steve Franks, who who created the show, who's a big '80s guy and uh, just a, a superb human being. And I've never been on a show before, and I've been on a lot of shows where people genuinely liked each other. I mean, I've been on shows where everybody was friendly on the set, and then. I did not partake in this, by the way. They'd go back to their trailers and email and text horrible, vicious things to each other and then come out. And, I mean, it just, it, I don't know why. It's like, it can be a cesspool. What's that like, though, working, I mean, when you're going to a, on a set like that, is, is it like you're constantly walking on eggshells because there's people and you have to figure, well, if I'm nice to this person, this person, I mean, it must just suck because don't you just want to be there to do your work? Yes, and I'm sort of usually lower down on the on the call sheet. I'm number four or five, and it's usually numbers one, two, and three where that's happening. So I just try and be nice to everybody and have no opinions. Okay. And, you know, I don't align myself. I don't play politics. I'm not very good at it. And, you know... Somebody can be up one day and down the next. You just end up you end up screwing yourself. Now, when you did that first episode of Psych, mm-hmm. what was a changing turning point that all of a sudden it became recurring? Like you said, you went in because you love Vancouver, and it's it's you know, and so and you're getting to work, and but you go in, and after that day, did you leave and say one, God, this was just a great time, and two, okay, well, I got to say goodbye, or did you sit there and go, maybe they'll bring me back? How did the whole process come where they brought you back? I. I went, I, I, 
I did what I did, which was nothing that they were expecting this coroner to be. They wanted him to be very straight. USA <laughs> wanted, they wanted the only funny people to be, you know, they wanted everybody to play it straight, but James, really. And here I was not really playing it straight, but that's how I saw it, and that's how it was written. And they laughed and laughed and laughed. And I thought, well, this was fun. And, you know, we went out, we had drinks. It was, it was you know, you go across the street from the hotel, and it, it just it can be a great atmosphere. And when I landed back in L.A., I already had a message from my agent saying they wanted me to come back up and do another one. I, the writers found it easy to write for my character. And whenever they needed something, and, you know, writing is hard, and when you write over, you... You run out of material. Well, here's a character. You can always write something funny for Woody, the coroner. You can always do it. Whenever you're you're stuck for something, put in Woody. So they did. Because it, it is such a great character. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just because it's just, yeah, it's like you laugh when you come on, when you, when you appear on screen, you laugh for the fact that you know something just, and it's funny because the comments aren't, I mean, aren't what you would call nice guys. They're not mean. They're just, they're bizarre. And that's what makes it so funny. And the character is when you guys were living in the trailer Mm -hmm. with those older, it's just, you sit there and you're watching it going, and I hate to say this, but I was like, we know a guy who, like I went to high school, I know there's a guy from Cherry Hill East who is sitting there now in a trailer doing the exact same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 in one, in one episode, stole jewelry off the dead people. I mean, they they had me doing things. I mean, I I would discover my character as we went along because they went. You know, my my task was to make him likable and accessible, even though he was so bizarre. And you know, usually I succeeded. That that I will give myself a pat on the back for. No, you did a great job. You know, people love Woody. So now, now after you went back for the second one, mm-hmm. then did you know it would be? I mean, how did it come where it was like every season? I mean, that much. I, I hear this so much from different actors that say, you go in for one, you go in for the one role, and you do well because you're professional, and you you do, and you said you you read it like you thought it should be read, mm-hmm. and then you get another call, and then next thing you know. You're going back and forth. I mean, how long till you knew you were going to start coming back? I mean, it was this, it was, they had me back about five or six times, and there were only about seven episodes left of that season. Okay. And then they said, uh, you know, and I, I kept trying to get them to make me a regular because that's where the money is. And I would, but USA, I don't think USA even ever wanted me on the show. <laughs> That's the USA, I think, did not want me on the show, but the psych people really wanted me on the show. And every year I would get a pilot. And before I decided I would sign for this pilot, which means that, oh, I, the pilot could turn into a series and I could go, my agent would call USA and go, well, you know, Kurt's about to sign for a pilot and uh, you could lose him on psych. And they went, oh, well, good luck. Oh, man. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> they were hoping, they were hoping I would because, you know. Uh, it's just it's so funny because yeah. I mean it's just because your pop your character is popular. It's just it goes back to how networks are. Now, Psych had a very uh, it has a, a fan base that I like. Right, it's it's, it's intelligent. It's people who get it. Yep, they get that he's not a true psychic. They right, understand and people who like eighties and then you have Corbin Burnson who right. you know, everyone remembers you know from L.A. Law when he has Arnie oh, Becker. Yeah. You know, like we, you were not you were upset. I worked with Corbin. Yeah. Now, I mean, were, he, did you play? What did you play? A lawyer. A lawyer. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I played a bitter lawyer. No, that's so cool. <laughs> it's because you run into these people. But now with the psych, now you must have gotten a, recognized a lot after that from just the people, the fans. Because one, you're tall. Two, your character is so out there. I mean, you must have got a lot of love from the psych fans because they seem like they'd be fans that are just cool. I mean, just like cool who dig your work and they're not like, oh, you did this wrong and you did this wrong. I think they just watched it go, let's Jeff, let's have fun. They, they, I have to say, I was doing a, a supernatural convention while I was, uh, after I had been on psych about three or four times. And supernatural conventions are rabid and packed with people and very intense supernatural love. Right. And I went out there and all the questions, all anybody wanted to do was talk about psych. That's amazing. And I thought, wow. Wow. Because I did, when I did, 
the first time that ever happened for me was when I did Wayne's World because that was such a iconic kind of film and uh, so for years people would you know come up to me and talk to me about Wayne's World Wayne's World now it's mostly psych See that's so cool. Yeah. So what was it like doing Wayne's World? I mean, because was, was it a blast? I mean, because no, it, no, it wasn't fun. <laughs> no, it wasn't. There what was happened? a what, lot what? of tension on the set. Why? A lot of big personalities. Okay. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of people yelling at each other and jockeying for position. <laughs> uh, and you know, it it was very it was it was quite nerve wracking. It's for an actor when you're as you said when you're not on the top of the call sheet. Oh. You know you really you just have to sit down and deal with the crap. I, I think I was number eight okay. on on that call sheet, <laughs> and uh, the, there were three or four above me who were pretty intense. And okay. the director was is very intense. Not bad people, just people who didn't agree, and really thought they were right. And that's usually what it takes to to create something great. But when people are or at cross purposes like that, I'm amazed it it came out like it did. I'm amazed it it seemed like a complete disaster. Hey, yeah, I, just, I guess you yeah, about anything. You know, the rock bands, you know, the Rolling Stones. You yeah. still argue. They don't talk it's, to each other. It's like yeah, they're like no, I want this. So now uh, you said Supernatural. Yes. Now that is also as I said, uh, Jim Beaver was just mm-hmm. on, and I swear to God, what he retweeted, uh, I tweeted uh, when the show his episode was right. on. I'm sitting there, I'm going to my girlfriend, I'm going, watching my ding, ding, like in a matter of like 10 minutes, 250 likes. You know, and oh, yeah. I'm sitting there going, oh my God, because they have such a, that has such an amazing following. Mm-hmm. Now, how did that role come about? about? I went in, I, I, I was at a, at a time when I was thinking, you know, all I do is play bad guys. And pretty soon... They're going to say, well, get me somebody like him, but not him. Okay. Because he's always the bad guy. So I thought, I want to start playing good guys. And this episode I saw, um, it was a guy who, uh, he was a businessman. I had, didn't know anything about Supernatural when I went in. Uh, he was a, he was a uh, it, was on, it, it was on, at the time, we called uh, Warner Brothers the Witness Protection Program. Okay. So... You know, you just didn't know, but now, now it's not. It's really so coming to its own. Uh, but I said to my wife, "Oh, I'm playing a nice guy. He's an angel, and he he helps this guy. It's maybe I can start playing nice guys. This is great." So I went in. I played him really nice, and I got the job. And I show up on the set. And I do the I do the part, and they go, "Well, you know, is, is, there's going to be more." So uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna use you for a while. I went, oh okay, man. I'm gonna play a continuing character who's a nice guy. And then I get the second script, and I think uh, in, a, in like a three minute period, I I kill four or five people. <laughs> I give I give Sam stomach cancer, and I I make Dean I give Dean internal bleeding, and I mean. I go, oh my God! I can't, just when I just just when I thought I was out, it pulls me back in. But that again, I I just love doing that show, and um, I forget the the creator right now, but uh, I think he uh, he is a, another really sharp guy, and I, I don't think he's on the show anymore, uh, but I think he's getting the checks. Um, but those guys work super hard. That's that they get along great, and they are really—I mean—they set the tone, and they are working 15 hours a day, and it can get cold at night in Vancouver. And I really enjoyed it because I got to play this horrible angel uh, who thought he was the funniest man in the world. I just played him like he was. You know, he just thought he was the funniest, most charming person in the world. And I guess it was a compliment when I got the Dear Kurt, We're Killing You letter, okay. <laughs> uh, which I got. Uh, it broke my heart. It actually broke my heart. Why? Just because you love the character so much? Or? It was like my own death. It, it was a little death. It was a, I, I, I realized that I had, you know, I really thought that, the, you know, this character, uh, I, I had become a little bit of him because he was so clever and he was so charming and he was so funny and he was such a passionate about what he wanted and I actually that's the only time I've, I've died a lot that that death really I, I wrote back and lobbied to 
to stay on. But okay. they were killing me for the 100th episode. It was a big episode, so they needed a big death. And, uh, you know, boy, they, they, they killed me. They shoved a, uh, a dagger up my throat into my roof of my mouth and you know what's that like i mean how does that i mean first of all i always i always talk to people who see now you've you've died a lot on screen so a lot so (laughs) i'm sure the first time it was something where it's like oh god you know but then after all you go i am i'm dying again yeah like another day what's it like when they put it that i mean is it is it just it's gotta be sort of creepy it it is creepy because he yeah um the the actor is, is is it was very good because they do a lot of special they do a lot of stunts on that show but it was a big it was like a, a two foot long dagger and it was sharp and he had to thrust it up close to my chin but miss me and as he did I had to react like I had been stuck through the throat with this silver dagger and. First, I was just freaked out because I thought, oh, my God, he's going to miss. He's going to miss. This is going to be one of those things. Actor killed on set. Kurt Fuller, you know, was doing a stunt. and blah, 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 blah. Uh, But he missed, and I, I did my thing. You know, whatever I could imagine it must feel like to be stuck through the bottom of the throat uh, with a knife. And then they added all the special effects, and it, and it, and it looked fantastic. But <laughs> I was dead. But I, but you know, I had to keep doing it. But I was. It was my death scene. It was very weird. I didn't want to die. That's just funny. Now, what were some of the other ways you've died in, in through your career? Uh, well, in one of my first movies, to show you that movies will never go away, uh, I did a movie with Hulk Hogan called No Holds Barred. I've, and what was it like working with a Hulkster? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it was a, he was so a larger than life figure, a fine fellow. <laughs> I think I, I I don't want to say anything okay. because I don't want to get sued. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I think that everybody was not not their real selves uh, during the shooting of that. You know, Vince McMahon was there, and they they sort of goad each other on. But there, I get electrocuted. Okay. And there were a lot of sparks. And the special effects guy, I said, I said now. Because I had, it was one of my first jobs. I said, "Now these sparks that are flying all over," I said, "Are, are they bad?" He goes, "Oh no, 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 no. That's a, it's it's like a little cigarette burn." And I said, "Well, you realize that cigarette burns—that's how you torture prisoners. You know, that's how they did torture prisoners in World War II on on Okinawa or, or wherever. I mean, that, that what?" He, so then I said, "Look at I I," and then they said, "Okay, Kurt, if you don't want to do it, we'll just shoot it from really far away." And I thought, oh, God, you know. Now I would say, yes, please, right. shoot it from very... But at the time, I was so eager. So this stuff was flying at me, and it was, uh, you know... And I had to pretend to be electrocuted, right. and, uh, you know, just pretending to die. And uh, I also did alias. I did a, a bunch of aliases, and that one, I got shot in the chest. Now, I heard when they shoot, they actually have a squib, but it actually is like a shock. They had, yeah, they had a whole pack on me, and uh, I got shot with a shotgun, which means with boom, 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 all over. And at the same time, I had to have it throw me back on the hood of a car. And I was not a young man at the time. I was in my 50s, and I did it uh, several times. And uh, it was weird because also part of the scene was, you know, they had the laser sight. There was they would put a la- they put a laser sight on my chest and it was almost it was like being stalked a little bit. That would that would freak me oh, out. I, so, I see the laser sight, and then I have the realization: <laughs> oh my god, somebody's going to shoot me, and then boom! You know, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy. Now it's funny you talked about World War II. Well, you also played uh, uh, Werner Werner Klemper, <laughs> Colonel Klemper. Well, yeah. did you, did you watch Hogan's Heroes when you were younger? Uh, yes, I did. So now, yes, every, I did. Everyone watched that show. I remember yeah. that was such a fun show. And Richard yes. Dawson, just fun was, show about the Nazis. It's, I mean, isn't that weird when you think <laughs> yeah. about? But everyone. Yeah. Now, what was that? How did that role come apart? And did you? Did you, Were you excited to play? Oh my God! Oh, that was one of. I was so excited when I got that job because it was being directed by Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. I mean, one of the great writers, you know, of of his, his time, and I. Didn't even think I looked like Werner Klemperer, but, I, but that's just because I have a magic mirror at home. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I studied it. I, I, uh, I went and, you know, 
found some Hogan's Heroes and looked at them, and I went in and read it, and I finished reading it, and he said, okay, well, that's it. We got our guy right there in the room. Uh, and, and then I went, and Greg Kinnear and I would just go into his trailer and we actually did real scenes from the show so we'd look at the show look at the show you know 50 100 times and then go do it because you know you really have to get it right because it's out there i mean people that show still shows places oh yeah it, it's and, amazing and well you know it's funny about that it's like no one really i mean you, you know you hear rumors but no one really knew like the dark side of bob crane i mean i mean you sit there and and later it all comes about but it's just one of those things because everyone loved him as this American, you know, he was like, oh, this hero. And then you hear this stuff and you go, yeah. wow, and that must be just cool. I mean, for the set, because you guys probably had more information than most people have. Yes. And it's just, I mean, that must have been a and very his weird... kids, his kids were around. And for those who don't know, Bob Crane uh, was, would, would film, he would, he was, a, I guess, a sexual addict. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but... He had a lot of sex with a lot of different people and filmed it all and uh, just sort of became consumed by it. And his kids were around, and it was very awkward. Yeah, I could imagine, just because it's like, it's like anything. It's like if you hear, you know, like if I, you know, like if, if your parents did something little that yeah. was bad, like, wait, what? Mom got a speeding ticket. Right, you know? yeah. But it's like, wait, Dad did what? And what? Yeah. And filmed it? I mean, <laughs> But I do recommend that. It's a dark movie, it's but it's, movie. it's called Autofocus, and it's well worth seeing. Willem Dafoe's in it. It's, it's, it's very good. Now, you said earlier about the supernatural uh, conventions. Mm-hmm. How does that come apart? Does, do they sit there and they go, okay, because it has a big following. And so do they sit there and do they, how many, how many of them will you do? Is that, was it, do, you, do you go to them a lot? And you must enjoy that because people must uh, really worship you. Well, I'll tell you, I enjoyed the first one. Okay. Okay, because you, for a while... You, while you're in the room filled with thousands of people, uh, you you are adored. I mean, it's like being Brad Pitt or who, I guess I'm, I'm aging myself now, but whoever is the hugest star uh, right now or Justin Bieber, just people, they act like you're a god. And everything you say is hilarious. No, that, what is that? That must be irritating. for the Not that you're but just for it's like when you sit there and go, Okay, that that wasn't that funny. Wait, right, come no, on, yes. come on, guys, make me make me work a little bit. I don't want to sit there and go, knock knock. Ah, no, no. Yeah. At least let me say who's there. Right, and and also you the 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 question I got this question maybe four hundred times. Did the boys play any pranks on the set? <laughs> and so, you know, they didn't really, but they did. With other people, so I would go. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, and I would make up things they did. I mean, how they took a they took a an air horn and put it up my pants on my butt while I was this and that. I mean, I would just make up the pranks that they would play on me, and they didn't play any pranks on me. Uh, but you get paid a, a pretty. I, I do it for the money, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't do it anymore because it's actually it's a lot of work. Well, actually, I, I went to one of these conventions, the Hollywood Stars Convention, right. in, in, in Culver City, near mm-hmm. the airport. And my buddy knows a guy. He says, "Well, you should come down." So I've never been to one. Right. And I was first. I was in this. It was like they had the Lost in Space people, they had, uh, right. Laverne and Shirley. So that was cool. You know, the two people. What amazed me is, and it's probably different with Supernatural, but some of these people that show up, I'm looking around going, it's like probably the poorly dressed people I've ever seen. You know, I mean, Supernatural's younger kids, I'm sure. But I was just amazed sitting there, like these people are just like, they're they're rabid. And I'm right. like, oh my God, it's like, I'm not going to pay 20 bucks to get a picture with someone. Yeah. It's like, I see the one guy, a friend of mine actually was there and he's signing autographs. And I go, if I see him in a bar in Burbank, we take a selfie. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to pay 20 it's, bucks. Supernatural is not younger kids. Oh, it isn't? Okay. No. Uh, and it's a lot of these people, it's an older crowd that goes to the conventions because, and, you know, God bless you. Whatever you, whatever makes you happy, whatever you can get out of out of your life that gives you satisfaction. But uh, I don't get it personally, and uh, they generally come from less populated areas. And you sign autographs and autographs and autographs for hours. What do you sign? Like what? What do you? Because you have to write something. I mean, yeah, you can't just write your you know, name. Uh, Zach loves you. Okay. Or, 
you're next, <laughs> or dying to meet you, you know, the stupidest, the stupidest <laughs> stuff. And and really, I think they were a little disappointed in me because, you know, I'm not, they, they have heart throbs, and the, and the, and the middle-aged uh, women who are now much younger than me, you know, I was sort of like grandpa, they, you know, I didn't have the, enough sex appeal Okay. To really line them up, they they make their money off those autographs and pictures, and uh, I don't think I don't think I was a big winner for them, but I, I did I did several. I went I did some in Europe and that must be yeah. cool though. I mean just, that was cool. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So now you, you supernatural, you, you got to the convention. Psych, you had this uh, huge following. Yes. And now also though, you know, you you're on Scandal and you're on The Good Wife, <laughs> which were two probably the two. I mean, I don't watch The Good Wife. My friend, right. I have friends who. People love that show. I'm leaving to do the last two good wives of the season uh, in, in about three days. Put it this way. I was flipping around the other night, and I just I saw the credits, mm-hmm. and I went, holy crap. Yeah. I was like, okay, Renee Ojabalus, whatever he had pronounced his last name, Michael J. Fox. Right. Uh, I'm just looking, and I'm going, I'm going, wait a second. I go, why aren't I watching this show? Yeah. Because And she's amazing. Yes. Now, how did that role come about? And it was that, is it great to work with these other heavyweights? Yes, yes, it is. And um, I think Psych, I'm not Psych, we're off Psych, come on. Uh, the Good Wife, I think, is the best written show on network television. Okay. Okay, not the best written show on TV, but that's impossible because we're they have to do twenty two to twenty four a year. Cable shows do ten or eleven. They can't. It's impossible for the fact that they do that many shows, and they're of such high quality uh, speaks volumes. And really, the creators of that are Robert and Michelle King, and our kids and their kids sort of uh, became friends, so we became friends with them, and, uh, you know, they just asked me to do it. And now they've, I guess, they've written something really good. I, I can't divulge it, okay. but it's the season-ending uh, episodes. Well, they shocked everyone last year when they killed that one guy off. I mean, everyone was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I was people going, oh, my God, uh, what no, happened? Josh Charles, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a good actor. So what's it is, it, is it, you're playing more of a lawyer in this? I'm a judge. Okay, so I'm now. A, I'm an angry judge. Now, do you like being an angry judge instead of being a bad guy? Because you, and see, like, Woody was a fun guy. Right. And then you had the, the mean angel who rips people's intestines out. Right. And now you're a bad judge. And I always love, like. Judges are always cool. I love judges right. on TV shows because you have either the mean one right. or the funny one. Right. And you like them both. Right. I, uh, well, I've learned uh, finally over the years that, you know, mean doesn't work. Frustrated works. Bitter works. Impatient works. So uh, this is a judge. He's not mean. He's just impatient. Okay. He, he likes things to, 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 to go well. And he's, he's kind of funny. So uh, they always write funny, interesting judges. And there's a twist on, uh, that we find out about this. I, you know, I, I guess this is my sixth and seventh or something that is very interesting. Now, when they, because uh, they know you and they're mm-hmm. friends with you, when they write that role for you, did they have you, I mean, they gave it a little, did they sit there and say, okay, you know what, we know Kurt will do this. Did they write some of your characteristics, like, are you impatient in real life? Yes, I am. Okay, so today I wish you'd hurry up. I'll tell you okay. that. <laughs> no. did, did, did they sit there and go? We or did they sit there? And they know it must be good that someone you know who your friends yes. before that sits there and go, okay, we're going to write this one. The one you to knock it out of the park. Yeah, and two, they know you, so they know what would work for you. That must be awesome. It's fantastic. It's. I mean, how often does that happen? Uh, you know, it, it's. I know David Kelly pretty well, and I. I went to do uh, a cra- the, the Crazy Ones Robin Williams show uh, last year and when he heard I got cast he rewrote the whole thing and, really? and it was like a love letter for me it was fantastic now how does that make you feel oh. as, as an actor I mean I must you know figuring you know back you couldn't get an agent all that uh-huh. time and you were the tall thin the tall bald tall kid. bald weird looking guy who somehow created a created a space for himself in show business, and that's awesome. I mean, yeah. that must be. I mean, David. I mean, that that's it's a pretty big damn showrunner to rewrite a whole scene for you. It's like, I know. It's like I know. Oh, you guys ever hear of Ali? It's funny is people don't even. You don't ever see Ali McBeal on TV anymore. No, that, that was such a good show. That was really well written. Really good show. Yeah, he's a he's a fine guy. Now, do you get recognized a lot? I get. Here's the thing. Nobody knows my name. Everybody knows my face. Okay, that's the fate of the character actor. So. I get, if I go to New York or, you know, 
in L.A., in my neighborhood, it's no... But I can't, for example, I can't go to a Starbucks and sit down and have coffee. In? In anywhere. But people just come up to you? Yeah. And which, you know, I go there to read or, or something, but they don't know me. They, it's, it's, it takes so much more time to explain who I am. If I was Tom Cruise, they'd go, hey, Tom, how are you? Hey. They go, now, why do I know you? And then it's, you know, it's five minutes of, and I'm, I, you know, that's my job. So I'm gracious, and I don't harbor anybody ill will. I, I get it, but, you know. I, there's not enough time in the day to, you know, it doesn't happen constantly, but I would say 10 times a day. It must just get, especially for Starbucks, because my only thing was like, you know, if you see someone out, if they're eating, leave them alone. Yeah. When they're walking away, hey, how you doing? Or right. if, if I go out and if I see someone, and I've seen in Burbank an actor or whatever, sitting at a bar right. by himself, you can tell waiting for someone. Right. You go, hey, how you doing? You, right. say, you know, but I know... I follow the stuff so I know who right. they are. But I, I, it amazes me that some people would just come up like and sit there and go, you know, you could be sitting there. I mean, it, it's so bad sometimes, I think. like You could be in an argument you know, with, with a girlfriend. She could be crying. Oh, hey, hey, can I? Uh, Absolutely. Can I get, that must be crazy. My, uh, my father, who has since passed away, when he was about, he was 85 or 86, and he had some kind of heart problem, and he had to go to the emergency room. And the emergency room guy, while my father, we didn't know whether he was going to live or die, wanted to take a selfie with me. That's just, I mean, that's, that's, that's and, just... And, and I'm stuck. I wanted to punch him. Right. And I wanted to say, hey, why don't you save my father's life? But at the same time, you don't want to piss off the people who are working on your father. So I went, you know, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's, let's get him stable, and then we'll, we'll do it. Let's, I, get, let's get him a hospital but, bed, but then we'll take it. People don't, you know, because of... Because everybody can be on film now. Everybody, everybody, there's YouTube, everything. The line between, you know, being a star, being a name, being recognized, people, uh, people just, people, there is no, there is, there is no wall right. between anybody anymore. We're all on, we're all on camera. Well, we have uh, just a few minutes left. What else is coming up for you? We see uh, a good wife. I'm doing. I'm doing the good wife. Uh, I have a um, independent movie coming out. When it comes out, I may want to come and talk about it. Called "The Light Beneath Their Feet," which uh, I made with Taryn Manning, who's on Orange Is the New right. Black, and I'm, she plays a bipolar woman. It's very intense. I'm her therapist, and uh, I don't have the release date for that yet. And I'm also, which is, I'm surprised you didn't you, you didn't want to talk about this. The movie uh, Nailed, that David O. Russell directed, that never came out, ran out of money six times with Jake Gyllenhaal and Jessica Biel, uh, is now called Accidental Love. Okay. And it's, it's out. You All can right. see it. Well, cool. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you. And I, I, I'm a fan. I always, I always I love watching TV. I'm like, you know, and I, I didn't know how to get in touch with you. And then Xander was on. And then I said, oh, I bet he's on Facebook. And I sent you a message. You yep. were so kind. It's funny. I sent you that message. And my buddy from college was visiting. And me and him and my girlfriend were at Venice. We took him to Venice. Mm -hmm. And we're walking. And then I got the message. I said, hey, Joanne. Uh, Kurt Fuller's going to be like, oh, she's like, oh, you know. Oh, so it was great. cool. So now, do you, do you tweet, right? I do tweet. Yes, I'm at the Kurt Fuller. Now, do you tweet a lot? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes I do. Do you tweet uh, funny stuff? Or I do. Okay. Yes, I do. I tweet funny stuff, but I'm not, uh, the best tweeter I know is Michael Ian Black. Okay. Yeah, he's, okay. he is very funny. He's got, he's got a million something Twitter followers. And I keep telling him, Michael, if we join forces, we'll be a juggernaut. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming <laughs> oh, on. My so pleasure. Much. Follow him uh, at the Kurt Fuller. Follow me at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 350 episodes up there. You can uh, also send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Uh, next Wednesday, the 25th, I'll be in the Improv Olympic West Storytelling Festival. It'll be at 8.30 showtime at The Loft. It's $10 to get in. I'll be telling the I Am Corn story. Come out because it's a competition and I would like to win. And also go to my other new uh, website, stopthesalt.com. You can pick up my low-sodium cooking for mom without killing yourself. You guys remember when I had my health problems? Well, you know what? I wrote a cookbook, how you can eat healthier and get that salt out of your life because you know what? It's giving you high blood pressure and it just it's not good for you. 120 recipes, no pictures. You look at it. You just cook and it's easy. 
Get it on my website, stopthesalt.com, or you can also get it on Amazon. It's up to you. Just type in Steve Cooper, stopthesalt.com. We'll stop the salt. And that's about it. So I want to thank you people for listening. Follow at the Kurt Fuller. Follow at Cooper Talk. I tweet a lot. I like to tweet. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week, and have a good one.